0: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to another Monday morning art talk. I'm Steven Silver, character designer and teacher dedicated to helping you learn about the art industry and living up to your potential. Whoopee! All right, so today I'm excited to do something a little different. I don't do it that much, but this is going to be an interview. And I was fortunate to be able to speak to Jared Fenton. Fenton, not from Danny Phantom, although his name was growing up Jack, (laughs) but uh, no relationship to the cartoon in any way. And he's part of the creator of an organization that's been going on for a few years now called Reflect Effect. Dot org, And his organization is to help students on campuses and just really worldwide help them in dealing with just opening up, unveiling the mask, just not being so uh, caught up in in depression or fear or imposter syndrome. This is something we're going to attack today and just talk about through imposter syndrome. We're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about the pen face, which I didn't know what that was. Um, and I think he mentioned it was called the duck syndrome. So different things you're going to hear about today in this podcast. And I Hope you guys enjoy this. Again, it's important information and it's really important and it was worth spreading and sharing because any little thing that we can do to help other people kind of break out of where they are in their lives and not feel so alone, no matter where you are, no matter what type of life you're, you're looking to get into, what avenue, whether it be art, music, business, lore, whatever it may be, it's all the same stuff, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, interview, and that's it. Thank you uh, for for being here today and taking the time to do this. Just a quick uh, thing for the audience was that I had uh, met your dad at San Diego Comic-Con, and through that, he just told me about what it is that you were doing, part of your mission um, with your company, just trying to help people in, in colleges and just bring awareness and light to depression and all these other aspects that happen in the suicide rates that are are happening and it just really uh, stuck with me in a way because so many artists are going through this sort of thing. They may not be necessarily registered in a college, uh, you know, a big university of some sort, but, you know, just individually and even if they're learning online or, or something else. So I think what I just like to do now is just um, ask you just to just tell me a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're doing to um, what, what, your whole, what your whole mission is. I think it'll be helpful for my audience just to be able to listen and get a little bit of an understanding.
1: So Thank you, uh, of course, for having me on. Uh, It's a big honor. Uh, As we were discussing uh, before we started recording, I have listened to a lot of Art Talk with Silver, um, and I find uh, what you've been saying in the episodes in which I've listened to to be very helpful. So I appreciate everything you're doing uh, to help not only artists, but also people like me, uh, art appreciators, I guess, (laughs) in, in that sense. Right. Um, So, uh, a a little bit about me, so uh, I'm from Philadelphia and uh, I've always been very interested in health. Uh, And so the interest in health started more uh, physical health. Uh, So, for example, when I was in high school, I would help teach the group exercises class that occurred during gym, Um, and then in about 10th grade, we took health class. and uh, as part of that, I started to get very interested in this idea of mental health. Um, hadn't heard too much about it in the past. At the time, uh, there was not as much talk about it as there is now, and and thankfully, you know, with every passing day, people are talking about mental health more. We are destigmatizing it further. Um, but that was really the first time that I got very interested in this idea of mental health and mental wellness. So I finished high school. I ended up going to the University of Pennsylvania for college, and I didn't really know uh, too many people when I went there. Uh, and so one thing that I did my first year of school was I got lunch with a random person every day. So I would walk into the dining hall, I would find somebody who was sitting alone, and I would say, you know, hey, can I join? You? Oh wow! <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I good. figured it's a good good way yeah. to make friends, and so. Uh, nine times out of ten they would go absolutely and then one time out of ten they would go i have an exam in like five minutes and i really need to study can we do this next week and i'd say yeah of course of course of course um but they were very open to meeting me um which i thought was really nice um and i thought was a testament to my school um however what i recognized when i would sit down with these students was that despite the fact that they were very open to meeting me, they were not open about who they were, hmm. generally speaking. Uh, in other words, and again, I've, I've listened to a good number of your uh, episodes, it was like I was speaking to their Instagram profile. And, and I know that you've spoken about that in the past. So you know, everybody was saying, again, generally speaking, yeah. everybody was saying exactly the same things. They were all first-year students, but they all had the most friends. And they were all going to the most parties, and they all knew exactly what internship they were going to get. And, yeah, they were in really hard classes, but they got it. They're not too bad. And so I kept on hearing this, literally day after day after day, because I would get lunch with a a new random person every day. And coming from a family, and I I feel very fortunate in this sense, coming from a family where uh, they're very much about you being the best you, Rather than whoever anybody else uh, you know wants you to be, or whoever you think other people want you to be, um, and having this interest in mental wellness, I thought, well, you know, this can't possibly be good. Um, that students are wearing this mask. That that students are you know acting as if everything is perfect. And I heard your podcast all about perfection, yeah. right? And when in fact, you know, everything is not perfect. Um, and so. At that time, you know, it had been about a week of classes, and I thought, well, you know, uh, I really need more information before I, I try to start changing the school from the inside out. Because if, if I try to start changing the school already, I don't really know about the school, I don't really have evidence that this is bad, that might be a little less responsible. Um, and so I waited. Uh, halfway through my first year of college, uh, a classmate of mine named Maddie Hollerin died by suicide. Mm. And um, you might be familiar with Maddie's story. Uh, She was a track star at my school. Um, And Kate Fagan, the ESPN um, columnist, actually ended up writing a story about her called Split Image. Mm. And it was all about Maddie's image that she portrayed to the outside world, for example, through Instagram, as opposed to how she actually felt on the inside. Um, and that really stuck with me. Uh, and then at the end of my first year of school, uh, I found uh, one of my friends uh, in in crisis. Um, my friend was suicidal. Unfortunately, my friend is alive. My friend is happy. My friend is well. Uh, it is the best thing that has, uh, I guess, ever come out of you know my work in mental health. And I w- really wasn't working in mental health. Um, but it was after that experience uh, with my friend, it was after the death of Maddie Holloran, uh as well as uh, some of the media that started to uh, stir up around this um, issue of suicide on campus, mental health, um, as well as this mass. that I said, um, okay, Now I've been here long enough to know that this is a problem and I'm going to do something about it. Um, And so to that end, uh, I was selected for a program at my school called Civic Scholars where they choose about 15 students per class and they fully fund you to do um, four years of preparation for and then formal research into any community service topic of your choice. And so I said, okay, well, if Civic Scholars is going to give me the resources I need to go and do this research, why wouldn't I study college students' mental wellness? Why wouldn't I study this mask? Why wouldn't I try to figure out what's going on here so that I can try to make a difference? And that's where, and I believe this is what you were talking about with my father, that's where I started doing my research into imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon, and then ultimately... My research on Envis. Um and you know, I, I don't want to speak for too long. You've been very nicely listening <laughs> to me, uh, but basically, um, at the end of all of that research, um, you know, uh, what what ended up being produced, uh, in addition to the research itself, uh, was I started this organization called the Reflect Organization, and the mission of our organization is to empower students to foster a culture of authenticity, allyship, and self-love on campus. Uh, The way that we do that is by bringing hundreds of students together each month at each of our different college campuses and empowering them to take off their masks as their true selves and to experience uh, that with uh, authentic connection, with allyship with self-love we can empower ourselves and empower each other to be our best selves and you know one one thing that i thought was very interesting uh that that your podcast reminded me of is if we talk about creativity and we talk about um you know innovation one thing that comes to mind is if there are all of these students uh, millions of students who are afraid to be creative, to go beyond what is accepted as the idealized status quo, then how are we ever gonna get to that level of innovation? How are we gonna ever get to that point where people can be expressive and change the world? Not just create a slightly different instance of what the world currently looks like. Um, And so in that sense, I kind of see our organization in two lights. And in one light, I see it as, of course, an organization that supports college students' mental wellness. In another light, I see it as an organization that aspires to drive innovation and to drive creativity.
0: That's great. That's I have so many questions. Um, you know, one I'm just curious on the because that's a huge thing, like getting people to unmask. And for myself. I, I honestly can't, I, I am so tired in all honesty of just meeting people all the time and it is always surface and I always want to get deep and I'm just, I get inquisitive and I want to find the answers and I'm trying to get people to open up in ways and just by asking, just just go, just what is a deep question you have? How do you uh, inspire or get these people in a group setting to unmask? What are some of the questions? What, 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 what's the format in, in that area that you're encouraging them to do. Because most people, this is the same thing with, with networking, right? And it's a big thing. People go to, I got a network, I got a network, I got to go to this event and network, but people don't network. They they stand in a the corner, they're afraid, the fears, well, this person might judge me, they just stand there with their drink or whatever it may be. They're not really engaging, they're not really interacting. How do you on these campuses go about, you get this group of all these people, how do you get them to unmask?
1: Yeah, so I, I appreciate the question. Um, so one thing that we, we did as an organization, and, and actually it does relate to art, so I'm, I'm happy that you asked it, is um, we we early on realized that unmasking um, is very difficult. Um, yeah, you know, That was part of what, what my research was uh, investigating. And um, as a result of that, we Realize that in order to best encourage uh, people to unmask, we have to make it cool. We have to make it something that people really want to do. They feel better. They feel like part of something when they're part of this movement towards allyship, authenticity, and self-love. And so one thing that we did to that end, and and we do some other things as well, which I'm more than happy to get into, but I think that this one would be particularly interesting for this podcast, Mm -hmm. is... When we came up with our logo, um, and, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with our logo, um, but basically, and actually, I guess here's here's what I'll do. Uh, I don't know if you can see this. I'll try oh, to right. It Got it. But that's our logo. Nice. So, REF, big L, backwards, ECT. Um, what we did was we field tested a bunch of different logos. And we asked students. We said, what do you think of this logo? And one thing that they said to us about many of the logos, not this current one, were, you know, oh, that's nice, or, oh, you know, we're going to be talking during that, or, oh, you know, that's pens colors, or whatever it may be. The one that I just showed you, students time and time again used one word to describe it, and they would go, dope. And that's what we want. We want being the full you to be dope. We want it to be dope to take off the mess. And so when you, for example, go to an activities fair where a bunch of students will sign up, for example, for a club like Reflect at their particular institution, and they see all of these tables all with you know, a sign with their logo, and then they see Reflect's logo, and there's a very particular way in which we advertise it, we incorporate mirrors in order that you're actually reflected when you're looking at the logo. And they see that, they go, I don't even know what that is, but that's dope, and I want to be a part of it. And so from the moment they become acquainted with our organization, the message that we're giving them is that this organization and what it stands for is cool. And so if you're a part of it, you're a part of that cool, dope movement. Um, And so then... You know there are other steps that we take which which again I, I'd be more than happy to get into. There's a very specific style in which we facilitate our conversations um but at the moment i'll I'll pause um because you know again, i'm a, a grateful guest of your. <laughs> oh
0: no, no, I'm curious i mean this is this is it. It's just like I really just kind of want to get that insight and information more so just to get people aware. And I guess that the biggest question I think that reflects on artists so much because artists in general that I've met, I've been teaching for many years now, people I met can be very, you know, lack self-esteem, lack confidence, have imposter syndrome, going through all this stuff. And to even go into an environment become very shy and 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 aren't making those you know connections and don't unmask and it's how's everything going oh everything's awesome you know it's great you know but you know deeper inside it's not the true story, like like we know, like what we see on Facebook, Instagram, these little mirrors, these little snapshots into, oh, look at me drinking my, you know, smiling at that moment when all of a sudden, you know, are you smiling all the time? No, it's just like smile for the camera. And then all of a sudden it's a straight face again. And then you go off in your head and you're constantly spinning. So again, still, I think maybe like the, is there, is there something that you would recommend? Maybe that might be a good point, like to, to people who are watching this to say, maybe, you know, that a tool that you guys give these people, when I go into an environment, how can I, what what should I do to become more unmasked? What can I do as an individual to walk into a room full of strangers that I don't know and, and get to that place?
1: Yeah, um, I, I appreciate that question. Two, two things come to mind. Um, one is on the part of the person walking in. The other is on the part of the people in that room. Um, and so I'll start with the people in that room, and then I'll go to the person walking in. Um, one of our advisory board members is named Ken Ginsberg. He has been a tremendous asset to our organization. Um, and what Ken has uh, contributed to is this idea and, um, you know, this is my characterization of Ken's words. I I certainly don't want to mischaracterize Ken. Um, But as I understand it, um, it's this idea of one caring person. And the idea of one caring person is that if you have just one person in your life who does not judge you, unconditionally supports you, and holds you to a high expectation, which means I believe in you to be the best you, rather than, for example, I believe in you to get straight A's. Then you can quite literally foster resilience and help to break cycles of adversity. And oftentimes when I'm talking about this, a question that I get is, okay, well, how do I be that one caring person? You If somebody comes to me and, and they're looking for that, what do I do? What do I say? And... Our response, and and, uh, researchers such as Brene Brown mirror this response, uh, is it's not a script. It's an orientation. You try your best. It's a communal effort. So if everybody listening to your podcast and all of their friends and all of their friends just try their best to be that one person, or maybe for one person, hopefully for multiple people, while keeping self-care in mind, right? Because it, it can take a toll to be that one person, so you have to make sure that you yourself are taken care of. Then we can help to create this community in which people feel support, in which people are becoming more resilient, and in which we are breaking cycles of adversity. So, if you're the person that's walking into that room, to address the the other aspect uh, of the equation, what I would say is, it is hard to take off the mask. I don't deny that. But, there are people in this world, I am one of them, I would say you are one of them, and there are many others, who believe in you to be the best you, who want you to be the best you, who will support you in being the best you and every single person has a unique expertise. And even if that expertise is just in their own life, they are the experts on that. And so in order to get to a place where we as a society can support each other, where we as a society are allied, and where we as a society are moving forward in a positive direction, we need people like that person who you were talking about who walks into the room to empower themselves to be the pull down, Because the more of those people we have in this world, the more that we can move towards creating this community of one caring person, and the more supportive, more allied our world will look.
0: So it's really having someone that's, you know, people that are open to taking initiative that are gonna kind of be in that location, they're gonna be in that room, and they're going to be, that person needs to be so open and 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 warm in a way just to accept them and try to just get them to just, to, just to open up, knowing that they're walking into this organization reflect. They know what they're kind of getting into. They know that it's an organization about, you know, just opening up your doors, unmasking. So they have to be willing and they have to sort of just watch it kind of happen. And you guys are trying to facilitate that, like just really being welcoming to people when they're coming in? I mean, is it something where you guys are doing just a, a, a group circle? Are you guys doing, um, you know, I mean, is it like uh, uh, something like that? Or is it something where people are sitting down and someone's on the stage talking to them?
1: Yeah, so it's it's uh, more like the group circle. So the way that we do it is, let's say you're a student coming into a reflective. You walk into a central location on campus, and what you see is you see a bunch of different groups. And at each group, there's a trained student facilitator. And our facilitators are trained in a very specific Mm -hmm. style of conversation. Again, we can attribute this to Ken Ginsburg, the same advisory board member as I mentioned earlier, called a choreographed conversation. And the idea of a choreographed conversation is that Behind the scenes, we at Reflect, the facilitators, the officer team, have done a lot of work to help best ensure that students do have the ability to take off the mask and connect themselves. So what you'll see in a Reflect dinner once you sit down in these groups is you're not going to see the facilitator constantly contributing. That's by design. That's the difference, for example, between... Let's say that you go to a group, there's a facilitator, the facilitator is jumping in pretty often, you know, Stephen, what do you think? Uh, Talia, what do you think? Et cetera, et cetera. You might walk out of there feeling a lot better, but you also might walk out of there and go, I can't wait till next month when my facilitator can help me feel better again. Mm -hmm. That is good but we're going for something that's a little different. What we're going for, and because we have these choreographed conversations in which the facilitators are trained in a way to empower the students themselves to do the connecting, students walk out and reflect and go, I haven't felt that way. We have you know, one comment that says, I haven't felt that way in four years. I remember what it finally means to be me. Mm. And then they think, and I can do this myself. Right. I don't need the facilitator. I don't necessarily even need reflect. I just need myself and my fellow students and this mindset of being allied, authentic, and self-loving. And we can create this culture by ourselves. So you as that student come into a reflect dinner. There are all of these different tables. Each of the tables have a different topic associated with them. These are topics that go beyond the mask. So generally, again, generally speaking, the mask does not allow for you to have an open and honest conversation about race or religion or gender or sexuality or relationships or jobs, Greek life. Right. But here at Reflect, there are spaces where you can have those conversations. At the same time, what we don't want to do is say, all right, the mask or society, allows you to talk about 10 things in, you know, 10 ways. Here at Reflect, you can talk about 20 things. Well, that's just a different form of the math, right? So what we want to do is we want to make sure that every single person that comes to Reflect is guaranteed the opportunity to talk about literally whatever's on their mind. And to that end, there are always multiple tables called Anything. And at those tables, you can discuss whatever is on your mind. And there are specially trained facilitators, students there, who know how to facilitate that conversation in which different people want to talk about different things. So the way that we think about it is, it's really that every single group is an anything group. Right. It just so happens that over the years that we've been doing this, We've seen that generally a lot of of people, excuse me, want to talk about race. A lot of people want to talk about relationships. So rather than having every single group be called anything and having two people here want to talk about race and two here and two here and two here, we have a pre-selected group called race in which the people go to. And then if they don't want to talk about any of these commonly discussed at Reflect pre-selected topics, they go to the anything group where they're able to talk about anything.
0: Right. That's great.
1: One um one example that particularly sticks out in my mind um, is very early on in Reflex Existence, there was a group of students who would always come and talk about art. So they would go to the anything group and quite literally, and, and I think there's an article about this, so I am not just sharing okay. it for the purposes of this podcast, you can read about yeah. it in the past. Um, Quite literally, they would would go to this one group, and and they would their anything topic would be art. And so there were about four or so uh, of these students, and um, I went up to them one day after a reflect dinner, and I said, "Hey, um, you know, I'm curious, why do you always come and talk about art?" And they said, "Because on this campus." we feel it is extremely pre-professional. That's the term they use. Um, and again, I'm trying to basically quote them as closely as I can. Okay. Um, they said this campus is unbelievably pre-professional. And every time somebody asks uh, what our major is and we say fine arts, uh, they turn around and they say to us, um, what are you going to do? Paint the walls at Goldman? and we could not feel more isolated. Mm. Now, that's not to say that working at Goldman is bad. Working at Goldman is fun for people who want to work at Goldman, right? Um, but the experience that these students were having on campus was such that if they were not part of that status quo, they were ostracized, mm. and they be made to feel less than, and they had to put on this mask That said, no, you know, we're not doing X, Y, or Z that we're actually interested in. We're just trying to fit in with whatever the norm is. So then the student says to me, and then when we come here, when we come to reflect and we can talk about what we are actually passionate about, this is where we find our community. This is where we find our support. And that's why we always come and talk about art. Yeah. And that, that... Uh, experience is what started to change the way that I think about reflect at up until that point I thought of it as this is a mental wellness uh, nonprofit that exists to support the mental wellness of students after that point I started thinking about it as additionally a place where students can share their passions foster their passions and actually create the support system that they need and that they deserve to go and pursue those passions and change the world. Right.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not just your, it's not just two people going in just to yell and, and get upset with each other where typically that can happen. It's just like my belief, your belief, you know, you're going into an environment where it's going to be calm, cool, collected, right? For the most part, just people discussing, uh, what it is that they're doing. Um, so let's just talk about, um, I guess like depression in it, because this is something that you deal with or you face a lot that you see. What is the, the, what, what, from your research, what is the main cause of this? Is it truly loneliness is it is 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 the depression a cause? They these people are depressed because they feel so alone that they can't even talk to people about what it is that that's really going on. Is is that the number one cause, or what? What's the number one cause of this?
1: Yeah, so I appreciate that question. And um, my uh, my research focused mostly on imposter phenomenon and then pen face. So we were on uh, my research in that sense was focused more on, uh, proactive interventions. So if somebody is experiencing, uh, you know, imposter phenomenon or if somebody is wearing the pen face, um.
0: Real quick pen face. What, what is it? What's pen face?
1: Sure. Um, so pen face is a term that developed while I was actually a student at Penn and it's a term that describes the mask that Penn students wear. And what's so interesting about PenFace uh, and what led me to uh, research it specifically was that it's not a clinical term. You know, PenFace is not in the DSM. It is something that, uh, you know, came from the community. There was this pressure that was so overwhelming to put on a mask, so debilitating that students could not ignore it they had to name it, they had to figure out some way to talk about what was going on. And so they came up with this term, PenFist. At Columbia University, it's called Columbia Fist.
0: And so, um, like, what's the real heart of it? Is it like, you know, I heard that my daughter I just found this term last year, they call it uh, RBF, like re- resting bitch face yeah. or something. Yeah. I mean, so what? What is it like? What What does that face look like at Columbia at Penn? What, what is it that people go? Oh my God, that person's got the bug, you know?
1: Sure. So uh, I I have uh, my paper up on the other side of the oh, yeah. screen uh, in order that you know I can I can refer to it and give you. The best quote. Um, so, pen face, what we did was we actually looked at, uh, we, we spoke with a lot of different students, we looked at how a lot of different people have defined it, and essentially, to wear the pen face is to appear happy, in control, and successful at everything all the time, mm. even if in reality one is not. Um, and so, when you go on college campus, a huge number of students are wearing the pen face, uh, and, it, and, and as I said at Penn, they call it pen face. At Columbia, they call it Columbia face. At Stanford, so East Coast to West Coast, they call it duck syndrome, because hmm. a duck glides across the water gracefully, but underneath the surface, oh, like yeah. pedaling so quickly, struggling to stay afloat, and too late, down south, they call it the undertow, because it's like an undertow in the water. Nobody else can see it, but it's dragging you down. Mm. And so it's it's very much related in that sense to imposter phenomenon. And so what we did was we studied pen face, we studied imposter phenomenon, and um, it is it is most certainly related uh, to depression. Um, you know, some of the research talking about imposter syndrome actually relates the fact that if you are experiencing imposter syndrome, if it is affecting you, then you can be affected by depression um, you know, in, uh, in line with, with that imposter syndrome, or as connected is a better way to say it to that, imposter syndrome. Um, however, what our organization does is we say, even before we're talking about clinical depression or anxiety um, or any other mental health condition, if we can empower students to take off their masks and forge these supportive communities, these communities of one caring person, then we can be proactive. Mm -hmm. And we can help to foster resilience. We can help to break cycles of adversity um, on the kind of early end of the spectrum in order to not only help the people on that end of the spectrum, but quite possibly help to alleviate issues that would come if there were not such an intervention early on
0: right right so let's talk about imposter syndrome because that's really a main a main thing i'd be curious just on your uh your research through it and from what i understand of it and as an artist myself i know a lot of artists i know a lot of creative people go through it you know so i i my my question i'll ask my question in regards to just the, the regular person who's a student, like, what are they going through? Imposter syndrome when there's not necessarily a, a talent or gift associated with it. And I think, like for myself, like I go through imposter syndrome. Always have, you know. It's just, but I I understand it and I accept it and I know that it's just it's part of this this thing, you know. It's just like it's I, whatever it is, you know. I don't, you know, you'd be able to maybe clarify more. But just for I know a lot of people and artists that that watch this that will, will question what is imposter syndrome, or people that I know go go into it themselves. And I know so many. Again, this constant self-doubt that, you know, I'm kind of fooling everyone. Jeez, man, they think I'm a good artist, but man, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. So there there's that feeling, but also it propels you in a way, as an artist to try to improve upon your skill set. So there's part of this by feeling like an imposter, you constantly, I know for myself, will try to develop and get better um, to to develop. So I don't feel as much an imposter. But also, I know that it just takes, um, uh, you know, it just sort of like exposes your uh, you know, weaknesses, you know, really like, oh my God, I, you know, people think I'm so good at drawing gesture or something or my line is so good. Really? Is, is it really good, man? Maybe I should keep working on my, my line or my gestures just to, uh, but, but again, the, the point I think I'm trying to make too is it all comes down to trying to impress people, right? I think the imposter syndrome comes from the fact that you're feeling like this because you really want people it's, it's always about other people. It's always, I think this this whole thing is about other people's opinions. We're always so concerned and more so because of social media have become so concerned about other people's opinions, whether we should be accepted, are we accepted or not? Why should I go on? If I get invited to go on that stage and talk, are people are they judging me? What do they think about me? Do they think I'm as good as I I think I am? Do they think I have anything good to say? Do I think I have anything good to say? Am I, am I good enough? And it's always this question, but I'd be curious to just kind of hear what you've researched on imposter syndrome. Like what, what do you know? What what do you understand it to be?
1: Yeah. So, uh, what, um, one of the things that I think is is so interesting about imposter syndrome is how um, the researchers who who originally discussed it, uh, Clans and Imus, um how they ended up uh, coining the term, um, how it's evolved in understanding over the years. Um, so uh, originally, um, the researchers talk about how uh, imposter syndrome, they say, designates an internal experience of intellectual phonies. Um, which is which is what you were talking about. You know that phoniness that you know I'm really not supposed to be here, but I am, so I kind of have to trick everybody into thinking that I actually belong here. You know, are they going to discover me? Um, <laughs> a very uncomfortable. Um, anxiety-inducing, potentially not in the clinical sense, but in the colloquial use of the word, um, phenomenon. And um, Clance talks about how uh, she was first introduced to imposter phenomenon when she herself was in graduate school. So despite studying, she thought she was going to fail her exam. Um, You know, I'm not supposed to be here. Uh, I just happened to be here, and she would study really hard, and you know, thought still thought, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm going to fail my exams. And then later, when these researchers were working with uh, their own students, um, one student actually came to them and talked about how she felt like an imposter. And that's where the term imposter phenomenon came from. Mm-hmm. And originally, Clance and Imus thought that it um, – really only had uh, to do with high achieving women. And they talked about a couple different scenarios that could lead to imposter phenomenon, uh, which I also think are very interesting. So one scenario that they talk about is, uh, let's say that you are in a family and you have two siblings. And one sibling the family was always calling the smart one. And what they found is that oftentimes, the one who was not called the smart one was objectively extremely intelligent. They would get straight A's, they would excel in their classes, but that person, the not smart one, would start to experience imposter syndrome. And the reason, one of the reasons that they would start to experience that is because their whole life they were getting this messaging that they were not the smart one. Hmm. And so despite the fact that they kept on doing well and they kept on achieving, they would attribute it potentially to a mistake or them tricking somebody or something other than their highly intellectual nature. The other instance talks about a student uh, or an individual who was told that they are the smart one they are a genius right and what plants and imus found was that this individual because they've been told this again for much of their life at the beginning school wasn't that hard you know they were pretty good at it they could study they could do pretty well but school gets harder And even for extremely intellectual people, whether you're talking about school or whether you're talking about a vocation or whether you're talking about a profession or whatever it may be, it gets hard. You know, work is difficult. And when these individuals start coming uh, by work that they're actually having to work a lot at, it starts to make them feel less and less intelligent until they feel like they're an imposter and that they shouldn't be there because everything isn't just coming to them very easily. Um, interestingly, there was a Stanford student writing about duck syndrome that said, uh, this is a direct quote, appearing to work hard isn't cool because real geniuses come by it effortlessly. And if we show folks it's dang hard to be a student here, then we're not real geniuses and someone will kick us out or worse, we'll be humbled by our noticeable imperfection. Hmm. And so Clance and Imus go from there um, to, a, to a couple different things. Um, the first one is they talk about, and it's something that you just mentioned, they talk about how hard work and diligence is often characteristic of people who experience imposter syndrome. And then they attribute their success solely to that hard work and diligence, not to themselves internally. And they should attribute to themselves internally because that hard work and diligence is a part of them. Right. And they're intellectual enough or or, capable enough to produce the work that they produce. But it's a mistake when you only attribute it to, no, it's not me. It's just what I did in this one specific situation. Right. The second thing is oftentimes those with imposter phenomenon um, experience self-doubt, as you were talking about. And um, what, they, uh, what they end up doing is, let's say that you have a student in a classroom. And that student knows that uh, they have an essay coming up. And uh, they know pretty much what their teacher's... Um, what their teachers preferences are how their teacher grades um, and then rather than writing the essay that they want they write the essay that they're pretty sure is going to get them an A and they do that because they're not as confident in writing what they want rather they're pretty gifted socially they have this understanding of what the teacher wants and then They go in that direction, get the A, and then say, well, it's not because of me on the inside. It's because I figured out how my teacher works, and then I tricked them into giving (laughs) – tricked them into giving – and so um, later, of course, um, Clance teamed up with uh, uh, another individual named Joe Langford. And what they ended up finding, uh, you know, of course, because we're speaking about it, is that imposter phenomenon is not only uh, found in high-achieving women; it's also found in men. And um, they go from there to, you know, talk about some of the importance of, you know, uh, again, uh, this this is this idea of believing in yourself to be capable. Um, and, you know, having an understanding that um, you're there for a reason. And uh, since you're there, you deserve to be there. Right. Uh, so that's, that's, that's a little bit uh, of, of the, you know, what the research that, that we did and you know, talked about with regard to imposter. Yeah, I
0: think, I think a lot of it, you know, on the art side of it is what gets hard, and I think just in general, is art. And many things in life, but arts is specifically is subjective. You know what? What makes this? You know, you know. I got my little Bob Ross cup here. You know what makes Bob Ross? You know why? Why? Why like his? You know, some people love his paintings. I used to watch his shows all the time growing up, and I loved his paintings. Other people go, "Oh my God, that that's horrible," and this mixed message all the time that that people, especially artists, can get that this is good, this is bad, then the artist can get confused and all of a sudden you start to question your own ability at times where this person, besides your parents, you know, I stopped showing my artwork to my parents when I was 18 because they would always tell me how great everything was. So when you were talking about people were told all the time, some people were told how bad they are. Um, and, and that all of a sudden they do good things as, as a form of imposter. Like, I was always told growing up how good I was, uh, but I didn't believe it myself, and that's always, I look at Norman Rockwell, I look at these other artists, and I could identify that, no, this is greatness, this is good, so there's a lot of that comparison, and I think as an artist, what we go through, and this comparison, I'd say it's for most people, always is, is comparison, we're always comparing ourselves to other people, yeah, but look at that guy, you know, in that job, in that profession, and and it's not me, and I'm not doing that. I want, not to say you can't get there. Again, your own limited beliefs will stop you from, from getting there. I personally believe you can achieve and, and grow to be whatever you kind of want to be. I mean, there is a sense of Talent and gift you got to have. Like you can't just be a, a Beyonce or a, you know or a, some, some the big singer star or something. If you don't have a voice, if you don't have the capability, could I learn how to write songs? Could I learn how to do that? Yeah, but if my vocal cords will never get me there, sometimes you're dead in the water, right? You like we see that on American Idol and things like that where uh, with, with people. So it is a definitely interesting thing. Is there something that you guys in research that they say is the, is the cure for impostercy? How, how do you tell people, you know, or is it just these, Hey, listen, just, it's a set of beliefs. Like you gotta really just start writing down what you want, what it is you want to achieve. Just start, stop looking into the window of other people's lives. I mean, is that where the real, uh, research takes people.
1: Yeah, so um, I think it's a, a a great and important question. Um, you know, what is the solution to imposter phenomenon? Um, and and I think that a lot of people are working on that question. Mm, okay. Um, you know, a, a few of the things that I would say, and this is my personal opinion uh, based upon my experiences is the first thing, and and it's one of the reasons that I'm thankful that podcasts like yours exist, is just to know that imposter phenomenon is real. Uh, And that it's a phenomenon. It's not you, it's something different. Um, And you deserve to be there. People feel this way, but what imposter phenomenon shows if you look into the research on it is the people who feel it oftentimes deserve to be there right Uh, they belong and they are capable and just knowing that if you are a person experiencing imposter syndrome if you're a person that feels like you're tricking others into you know giving you that promotion or into believing that you're as good as they think you are maybe you are as good as they think you are. Right, right. And you probably are. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's the first step. I would say the second step is you, you, you speak about um, comparing yourself to others, and, and that is rampant, um, you know, especially with social media. So one thing that I love to talk about is how when Facebook first came out, or at least in the early stages of Facebook, your timeline was literally called your wall and I don't, you know, that's a coincidence of course, but at the same time people do put up a wall Mm -hmm. on social media. You're not seeing who they really are. Right. And thing that you also uh, spoke about was 30 years ago, you couldn't go on Instagram or on Pinterest or wherever you go and see all of this other amazing, amazing art right. or you know, photos or whatever it may be. And in the case of the photos, oftentimes they're uh, edited.
0: Yeah, so right.
1: They're actually reflecting reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, One part of our research looked at uh, a, a social media campaign called Hashtag Woke Up Like This, which featured a bunch of celebrities uh, who – woke up, took a picture, and posted it with the hashtag woke up like this. Well, there was an investigation into it, and they found that the celebrities woke up, did a lot of work to make themselves look a certain way, and then took their hashtag woke up like this picture.
0: Yeah,
1: I and mean. it's so detrimental to others who aren't behind the curtains, who aren't aware you know, that hashtag woke up like this was, in that sense, a sham. Um, and if we are able, again, to create these communities, and and I, I can't stress enough that I believe that every single person has a role to play in creating these communities, wherever you are, whoever you are, in which you don't judge others, you unconditionally support them, and you believe in others to be the best person they can be, then what we can start to do is we can start to give people confidence in pursuing their passions. And, you know, a person might be working on something that isn't the right thing for them. But if they have a network of people that are willing to support them in making the transition, they might be able to go, you know what, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to do something else. Yeah. And I think that it's through creating these communities that we will help to um make people who might feel like imposters feel like they belong. Yeah. Because there are people behind them saying, I believe in you. Yeah. What the real you is.
0: Yeah. It is, I mean it is amazing when you think about it, you know, just before the internet, I was born in nineteen seventy two, you know, I was a child of the eighties moving from one country, England as a child at 10 years old, moving to a whole nother country and experience the different cultural differences between American people and English people and, and how, and how, you know, things are, are perceived, but that we, again, there was more of this freedom because of the lack of comparisons. So I think you, we took an in innovation in the world in general, we took more risks because we didn't know, we weren't seeing all the time people's failures we didn't see that that person failed and bumped. So all of a sudden we see someone failing or something, we go, oh my God, I'm not going to try that. that. That person got, oh my God, that person submitted their portfolio to Warner Brothers and they got rejected or Disney. I'm not going to do that. That might happen to me too. Instead of uh, going in naive. And I think for myself, I've always gone into everything with naivety, you know, and I go in with this naive approach, like... I don't know. I'm just gonna try. I'm gonna see what happens, and it's this, sort of this philosophy. But I remember reading this great book. I love reading books on philosophy. Different guys. There's a guy by the name of Wallace Waddles, um, and he wrote. I can't remember what the book that he wrote. He wrote many, but I always remember this one phrase. This uh, that he said, and it was just, just. And this was back in the. This guy's long dead now. This was back in like the 1930s or 40s. But he said. Don't be competitive, be creative. And that always stuck with me uh, because that's what it sort of like comes down to is just like, don't worry so much about what everyone else is saying and doing, which to your point, you're trying to get people to stop worrying so much about all that and start, find that group, find those people who are going to believe in you and who are going to embrace you and trust in you to where you could unlock the block and start to get more creative, you know, so to speak. And it's something that I've I've been moving into myself as a, I I do this thing called um, unlock the block, tapping into creativity for people to sort of get in that way but this is the problem a lot of it is the imposter syndrome it's the the lack of support the the constant comparison you know these the, these fears these doubts and just filling their brain with all this garbage so to speak to where they can't even put any more stuff in their garb in their can in their head because it's so full of all this uh, what if you know that like the duck for nothing you talking, you know, all this stuff going on underneath there that instead trying to open it up and i think yeah it's just trying to get people somehow to let this all go but i don't know is that possible with social media and know where it's going do you feel we're going to be able to move into this area in society and what you're seeing on college campuses and again speaking of everything do you do you see it changing in a way or do you think it's getting worse? I mean, I I just watched this horrible doc. It wasn't a horrible documentary because it was horrible. It was horrible in the realities of it. It was called like um oh my god, it was called like the the great uh oh my god, it was all about that the the I I can't remember the name shoot. It was it was it's on the if you go to Netflix right now, they're really showcasing it, but it was like the all about social media and how we're giving everyone our information so much all the time, and how they're just we're getting bombarded with these ads to cater. To our fears, because all of a sudden they realize that we're afraid of spiders, or we have, uh, we we we're scared about trying to get that job position, or we're nervous about applying for a college because we've heard about this, and all of a sudden you're going to get targeted through advertisement and everything that's going to make you go, oh damn, you know. And what what do you see? What 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 sort of things are you seeing out there?
1: Yeah, um, I I I resonate with uh, what you're saying about all of the ills that are out there. Um, and, and I do see, you know, the, the perspective of the future being bleak potentially. Um, what I choose to, to look at is, um, a more positive perspective. Um, and I think that there are some, you know, great initiatives that are out there that um, many different people are getting behind. Um, you know, so for example, to, to take it from the micro level to the macro level, um, there's an initiative that the Jed Foundation and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, have put together called "Seize the Awkward." and Uh, A lot of the Seize the Awkward campaign is occurring online, and so they have Broadway stars, they have, um, you know, just music stars in general, um, talking about how when it comes down to these conversations about suicide, about distress, about crisis, um, they can get awkward, but it's really important to seize that awkward and ask the important question. Yeah. And those videos have gone viral. Um, And, you know, whereas, yes, social media can certainly be an ill and has certainly been an ill. I think the fact that, you know, potentially millions of people are seeing these videos that are inspiring them to instead of you know, feeling uncomfortable and not saying something to their friend who might just be looking for one person to reach out to. They're seizing the awkward, saying something to their friend, extending that olive branch, and then their friend is telling them, you know, yeah, uh, I am feeling this way and potentially getting help. And so I think that um, there are ways that we can use this changing world, that we can use social media, Uh, for good. Um, And, you know, what you say also reminds me of this idea that, you know, it it often seems to me, at least in in the research that we did, we asked students, what is the ideal Penn student? Uh, We asked students at Penn this, of course. And they pretty much described the same person every single time. Thereby indicating to us that there is this, at least on Penn's campus, this ideal, this you know, idealized, uh, perfect individual that everybody is striving towards. And I think that that's further influenced by social media because every, uh, many people are trying to make their lives look perfect right. on social media. Um, And and what's notable, and I think what you pointed out and what we point out as well, is um, it's oftentimes literally impossible to achieve the perfection that you are seeing in people's social media posts or just hearing in the zeitgeist and, you know, are are trying to achieve. Um, But more than that, Um, And and I imagine, you know, for example, uh, potentially the um, artist that you refer to that might not have that support network um, might have these ideas which are really beyond, you know, what's acceptable or what they think is endorsed or what might be the safe play um, and is really afraid to just go and get after that idea. For, for whatever reason it might be, um, I, I believe uh, that it is only through going beyond the status quo, that idealized status quo, and by saying, you know, yes, I'm different, and that's a good thing, and I'm going to take risks, and that's a good thing, that we can take this society, which might have a bleak outlook, and radically transform and make it something completely different. And if we are able to either, I guess really, and or if we're able to create these communities in which we inspire people to go outside of the idealized status quo and pursue something different and at the same time, hopefully get the message to individuals who might not be part of that community that if you really believe in something, even if you don't think it's going to be accepted, if it is good for the world, if it moves the world in a positive direction, go for it. Because those are the people we need in this world. Those are the people who can really be transformative and take this world we have right now and completely change it into something that we haven't even thought of. Yeah. And I yeah. think there's this big problem of you know, fear about doing things beyond that which we know are either towards this
0: idealized status quo or know will be accepted. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's great. I think in all honesty, we've been talking an hour now. I think that's almost like with what you're saying is a great way to sort of end this in the idea Of again, it's just that 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 change and just that we that we know and just and, and it can it can get into this world of change. We do start to see a lot more positivity coming out. There are a lot of great you know podcasts. There's a lot of great shows with a positive message. Now I think people are in a way starting to become just in general more. Open. I think there's a lot of people that are still stuck and think the status quo. You got to fit this certain mold, but it's always the way that it was. You know, so you got to get married, got to have kids, got to have the white picket fence, right? That was a way that people used to live and feel and and breathe, breathe and and way before that, there was always this. You know, what makes you worthy? And and in culture and society, and of course, every culture is going to be different, and they have their own uh, mindset for that. But I think. That that's what it comes down to now is just uh, having like organizations like yourself, what you're doing, giving people these outlets just to be able to come and say, um, you know, it's it's almost like this is me, right? This is, I love that song that was like uh, that was in the Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman. If you've seen that, I saw it probably around seven times, and I loved the message about um, uh, what P.T. Barnum and just what he did. This guy taking risks, you know, pursued these pursue these things but just knowing that even though you might not be that normal everyday the social norm that you can you can be you you know and and, and I love just you know the the Beatles you know and their final just let it be just let it be, and just the acceptance of things, and, and I think if we can move into this world, it's going to take time, I think, for people to truly, it's not that people are going to be posting on social media, you know, just all the negative, everyone still wants to post the happier and share that, but I think being open and honest in, in conversation, and I know this is why I just kind of wanted to do this today with you, and, and have that open conversation, but I know whenever I meet people, and I'm meeting new people, I think, Going into any environment, and it's like I tell my kids, and when I go with my wife, I go into these groups tonight, I'm going to dinner with a bunch of people I may not know, and just to, I want to get in there, I don't want the surface conversation, And but what I've found when I do go into these places and I meet people that I don't even know, we're sitting at a table, a dinner table, The most important thing that you can ever do, I think, is just start asking people about them. Just keep digging into them because people love talking about themselves and they can start to eventually open up. And and I want to get there. I hate... Surface level. Hey, how's it going? Awesome, great, cool, man. What you doing? Oh, there's all oh, good. Uh, that boom, it's dead. And and then there's not that constant conversation back. And I and what happens? And it's happened to my wife a couple times because she, we were on the same level. She's very inquisitive. She wants to get to know people. And people, it's funny. They see it as what? What are you doing? Why are you prying into my life? Or you know what's they they actually they've got upset with her. Because they figure, what, what, are you investigating me? And it's like, no, I just want to get to know you. And I, and I think people, what I found that people are so uncomfortable with truly opening up and letting people know who they truly are, that it's it's a weird thing where they, they'll get, they're offended by it with, with what we've seen. They're offended because you're getting, wait, I don't even know you. And why are you asking me so many personal questions? It's like, because this should be the way it should be. Let's be open. Let's be honest. You know, everyone's going to have their own approach, but I think that's really the message that I think you guys are trying to impart, you know, build these groups. I think it's important. I started a group now called Artists Anonymous where we'll meet online, Zoom, just artists talking, connecting, just like this. Open up. I don't want to hear shallow stuff. This is like, let's get deep into what you're sort of facing and going through. And I think this is what it comes down to. So I think what we need to do is, uh, have groups like this, you know, and keep building, encourage people to come open up safe zones. Hey, be able to speak, speak your mind. Don't feel so, you know, you don't have to do this alone, right? That's, that's the real message. So with that, are there any final thoughts you just kind of want to add or say in parting?
1: I, I I appreciate you having me on. Um, I appreciate everything uh, you do, not only through your podcast, but also through, like for example, what you just said with Artists Anonymous. I did not know about that. I, I am even more honored that you would have me on, uh, knowing a little bit more yeah. about what you do. Um, the way that I think about uh, our work is that every single person has the power to be authentic allied and self-loving and ultimately you know my vision for reflect is not to have a reflect chapter at every single college in the nation it's to have no reflect chapters because every single person has the power to engage in that way by themselves and so yeah. I mean, if, if you were kind enough to ask for a final thought and you know, my final thought would be every single person has the power to be that one caring person for one or more people. Keep self-care in mind. But if every person walked around with this orientation of unconditional support, non-judgment and holding each other to a high expectation, meaning believing in everybody to be the best person they can be, then we could really make this world look a lot different. And, it's, and as you said, it's not the easiest thing. There might be times when you get shut down for acting in that way. Yep. Yep. But if you keep doing it and you're honest in that, you're not, you're not trying to work anybody in a particular fashion, you're just honestly there for them and you're honestly interested in supporting them for who they are, then ultimately what we can do is bring more and more people into this movement and really help to change the world. Uh, And and I appreciate you uh, you giving me a platform to deliver that message, and I appreciate everything you do in furtherance of that.
0: Well, thank you. I, I love it. Um, thanks so much for being here. I'm going to add your put your website and everything down in the description so that people can see where to, to find you. Um, is there any other place where people can can find you besides the website that I'm going to list that would be best or is this is the best uh, thing?
1: The website's great. Um, our Instagram is at the reflector um, so we take, uh, an approach to social media in which we try to use social media for good. Um, so if you check it out, you know, you'll, you'll see what we're doing in that sense, but you know, otherwise no, the, the website's great.
0: Awesome. Great. Well, thanks Jared so much for your time. Um, I hope that everyone listening is taking a little bit of something from this. I really appreciate that. And, um, please people just check out this, the website down below and, uh, learn something that maybe you didn't know. Uh, all right, take care.
1: Thank you. To subscribe to my mailing list and stay updated on future
0: workshops and events, please go to my contact at silvertunes.com and simply hit join mailing list. Until the next time, make it a great week and thank you for listening.